Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And it certainly seems that any number of people consider themselves to be experts concerning Jesus. I remember many years ago where it seemed like practically every major national weekly magazine wanted to deal with the question of who or what is or was Jesus. And of course we cannot begin to address the number of books that have been written on that very subject. Now there's one out written by a Muslim. Do not misunderstand me. I don't think it is impossible for a Muslim to write a book about Jesus any more than it is impossible for a Christian to write a book about Mohammed. But by various different writers, we have been informed that Jesus was a human philosopher, a social reformer, just an itinerant preacher, a radical revolutionary, even the purest socialist who ever lived. As I've read all of these different opinions about Jesus, each one of them seeking to explain him from a pretty much worldly perspective, I have found myself reminded of the exchange that took place between Jesus and Pilate so long ago. Pilate also was seeking an answer to the question, who is Jesus? But he also was approaching it from the wrong perspective. As we go to John chapter 18, we'll read verses 33 through 38. John chapter 18 verses 33 through 38. The passage tells us, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone that is, hears of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Turning over to chapter 19 in the Gospel according to John, looking verses 8 through 11, we find, Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me 
unless it had been given you from above. For this reason he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Pilate wanted to know who Jesus was, asking, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? Where did you come from? And you won't speak to me? But Pilate also was approaching it from an entirely incorrect perspective. The only way we can fully answer the question is to understand that Jesus was more than just a man and to realize that all speculation and theories that do not proceed from that understanding are destined to fail. Who was and is Jesus? My friends, the only reliable testimony that we will ever have to help us answer the most significant aspects of those questions is the inspired testimony of God's Word. It is important to understand that that testimony is as sound historically as any other ancient document. Actually, much more so. For no other document of antiquity has as many ancient manuscripts available as does the Word of God. Since it is the Word of God, it contains no errors. So let's let God's Word supply the answers to that vitally important question, who was and is Jesus? Obviously, we cannot cover this subject in its entirety in this particular episode, but we can at least scratch the surface. First of all, Jesus was and is the Christ, the very one spoken of by the Old Testament prophets. The prophets spoke of God sending his chosen servant to bless all of mankind. This chosen one is called the Messiah, the Christ, signifying someone appointed or set apart for a very special office. The prophets predicted the coming of God's chosen one from the family of Abraham. That's Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Remember, and in you all families of the earth will be blessed. They also predicted that he would be from the tribe of Judah. That's Genesis 49 and verse 10. That he would be a great prophet like unto Moses. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 18. That he would be a king of the royal lineage of David. That's the second psalm and even that he would be born of a virgin. Looking at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, we find, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So specific were their predictions that they even told us where he would be born. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we read, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is just a tiny sampling of over 50 major messianic prophecies and hundreds of what could be considered minor ones. There is no possibility of mistaking the Messiah. Jesus alone fulfilled the prophecies and he fulfilled every one of them. Andrew told Peter, his brother, the absolute truth in John chapter 1, verse 41, when he said, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Philip told Nathanael the very same thing in verse 45. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, whether a person chooses to believe that or not is up to them, but the evidence is abundantly clear. Also, Jesus is and was the Son of Man. He is referred to as the Son of Man 78 times in the Gospels. He is identified with humanity by sharing both the blessings and the sorrows that we experience. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, we are told the following, Therefore, since the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like unto his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. It was necessary that in order to save man, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. That is Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Indeed, he came to die. Now we're all going to die, but Jesus came to die for all others. He said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. One of the most glorious and remarkable truths in the New Testament we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and of truth. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, even as Jesus was the Son of Man, so was he also the Son of God, divine. Look with me, at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. The passage tells us, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter was exactly right. Jesus was and he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is divine and shares the full and complete nature of deity. You can't put it any more clearly than Paul did in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 when he wrote, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus was both human and divine, fully God and fully man. 
Now we could go on and on with passage after passage that makes this truth so clear. How about just a few more? In John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58, we find, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus had identified himself with the Father by the use of the very term with which God identified himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, we find this exchange. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? My friends, Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. That's Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. God alone is to be worshipped, and both men and angels worship Jesus. In doing so, they were correct because Jesus was and is divine. Jesus is also the Savior for all of mankind. Now, all may not take advantage of it, but salvation is available to all because of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we find God making this statement to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Jesus came to bruise or to crush the head of Satan for all men. Remember that we spoke of Jesus being the Christ of which the prophets wrote? Well, in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2 we find, Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. God's spiritual family would be established so that men of all nations could flow to it. Do you remember the beautiful way in which his birth was announced to the shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14? It tells us, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. My friends, the gospel is for all. While Jesus will not force anyone, he offers salvation to everyone. Whosoever will can truly come to him. The scriptures also reveal that Jesus was and is the perfect sacrifice for sin. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us inherited Adam's sin 
or anyone else's sin for that matter. And we do not have a nature that forces us to sin, but we were made in God's image. That's too easy of an excuse. The shameful truth of the matter is that you and I sin because we choose to do so. Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Under the law of Moses, every year on the Day of Atonement, sacrifices were offered for the sins of the people, calling to mind their sins every year. But, as Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 tells us, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But Jesus called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in John chapter 1 and verse 29, offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. Staying in Hebrews chapter 10, consider verses 10 through 14. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Jesus offered himself, even though he was without sin, so that our sins could be forgiven. Finally, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, we find the following. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is a source of sovereignty, power, might, and rule. This is inherent in the very nature of deity. It is absolutely astonishing that any man would dare to lay claim to the very nature and power of deity. And yet, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. We must all submit to the authority of Christ. He is head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 22 through 23. I hope this brief examination of just who and what Jesus was and is has proven to be helpful. Thanks for listening.